So if you got your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 11 through 18 and kind of focusing our attention uh, on 13 through 18. But the early verses in this kind of set the stage for us. Uh, but in 1 John uh, chapter 3, uh, the message is the same. If you've been here the last few weeks, it's going to be about love and hate and the difference between those two. And the message doesn't change uh, throughout the whole book. And so just be ready because it's good to be reminded of what we should be living. And so 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. As John begins this section, I, I'm a little surprised by this illustration between Cain and Abel. You know, they're the first brothers in the Bible, way back in the book of Genesis. And Cain uh, killed his brother out of anger and hatred because God accepted Abel's offering and did not accept Cain's offering. And so anger welled up in him, hatred toward his brother, and he killed his brother. And then he switches gears quickly and says, hey, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Well, he's already said that a few times and he says it again here. And so for you and me, we need to be reminded again and again and again that the world is against us. If you, as a follower of Christ, expect the world, right? And I don't mean the world, the big globe, but the systems and the philosophies and the ideals that this world has to offer. If they're for you, then you're misguided. If you're a follower of Christ and you've passed from death to life, as he says, then we should expect the world to be against us. The world will hate you. Don't be surprised by it. Don't, don't be, don't marvel at it. That's what that phrase means. Don't marvel at the fact that the world doesn't like you. You should come to expect it. You should know that it's going to happen. The world is about death and hatred because the evil one is about death and hatred. But we as followers of Jesus are about love and life. Christianity is about living and loving fully. That's what we're about. The world is completely against that. That's why in our mission statement as a church, we say we want to lead people to experience the fullness of life in Christ. Because Christianity is about love and life, a full life, a life abundant, overflowing, and a love that pours out of a, a love that Jesus has for us. 
Christianity is about living and loving fully. And so don't expect the world to embrace that ideal. Don't expect the world to love that. Don't expect the world to love you. They're going to be against you. But you continue to live and, li- and love abundantly, fully. Why? Because Jesus loved you. Because it's impossible to dwell in Christ and hate your brother. Like the world is about hating one another. The world is about spewing hate, but we are about love. And if you and I hate our brother, the love of Christ cannot abide in us. As John speaks to the experience of, of his readers, he's helping them see that if you dislike, ignore, don't pay attention to, have indifference, right? You hate your brother You can't dwell, right? You can't reside. You can't live in. You can't be surrounded by. You can't be engulfed by the love of Jesus. They're mutually exclusive. And you heard me say that a lot. And I'm going to keep saying it throughout this entire series. That living in the love of Christ and hating others are mutually exclusive. You cannot have both. We love one another. And if you don't believe me, see Cain and Abel. <laughs> that, that's why John used that little illustration. Because you can't be close to God and hate your brother at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Loving other humans is evidence of our relationship with Christ. Loving our brothers, loving our sisters, whether they're biological or not, is evidence of our relationship with Christ. It's also our assurance. It's the assurance that we have that Christ lives in us because Jesus has changed my life from the inside. He's changed my selfishness. He's changed my inward focus. He's changed my heart to not only love him, but also love others. It's our evidence. It's our assurance. We're the ones to love others because Christ loves us. And hatred, what hatred does is it longs to eliminate a person. One biblical commentator completed that phrase. He said, hatred longs to eliminate a person. It's only a matter of nerve if you go through with it. What a powerful statement. That hatred longs to eliminate someone in your life. But it's only a matter of nerve if you actually go through with it. And most of us don't see hatred that way. But that's what it is. And the way we get to that point is we label people. We dehumanize them. And we've been doing it for centuries and centuries. Dehumanizing people. When We in early America wanted to expand westward and we ran across Native Americans and we wanted their land. What did we do? Do we embrace them? No, we called them savage beasts to dehumanize them. What did the Nazis do to the Jewish people in the world wars? They called them rats so they could more easily eliminate them. Because it's easy to kill a rat. 
If you remember back in the Rwandan genocide in the early 1990s, great movie, Hotel Rwanda, about that. But there were two tribes, the Hutus and the Tutsis. Yes, they're funny names for us. But the Hutu tribe called the Tutsis cockroaches in their effort to eliminate them. That's what hatred does. Hatred puts labels on people. Hatred dehumanizes someone else. It's true whether you're 13 or 83, right? We do this. We put labels on people to dehumanize them. And so it's easier to hate them or be indifferent or show a lack of love. But John says no. Because that heart of hatred, that heart of indifference, that heart of labeling will cause death, not in them, but in you. A heart of hatred causes death in our own soul. It robs you of the joy of life found in a relationship with Jesus. We're out of touch when we hate others. We're out of touch with our Savior. We're out of touch with his love for us and his love for them. Whoever does not love abides in death. We rob ourselves of life when we hate others, when we show indifference, when we label. And it's almost as if John here is saying what the Apostle Paul said, you need to examine whether or not you're in the faith if hatred is a part of your life. Because you cannot abide in the love of God and hate others and be a part of his kingdom. And so he says, love. Because we've passed out of death into life. And so let's bring life to others because hatred brings death. Let's bring life to others. And once he's established this kind of this idea of loving and hating, what does he say? He gives us the perfect example of love. What is love? Verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. By this we know love. Jesus laid down his life for you and me. It was a deliberate act of his will to give his life up for you and me. A deliberate act. It was an act of volition. He decided to give his life for us. And Jesus giving his life for us was not about martyrdom. It was about redemption. Jesus giving his life wasn't like Stephen, wasn't like just say, oh, well, I'm going to be the great example for you. No, he gave his life so that you and I would be redeemed from our sin, redeemed from our hatred, redeemed, made whole again. That's why he gave his life for us, to redeem us to our father, our heavenly father. The same reason you and I need to love others is so that we can bring redemption to their life and point them to Jesus so that they would receive the forgiveness of sin. And for those in the family of faith that we would love our brothers and sisters enough to them so that they would know, yes, not only does my family love me, but my Father in heaven loves me. Redeem them whenever they're struggling and hurting and hopeless. Jesus gave his life 
And he says, we ought to lay down our lives for others because the supreme act of love is giving our life away for somebody else because our life is our most prized possession. To give it away is the ultimate act of love. But I'm amazed here at what John does. He doesn't then give a great example of someone giving their life up for another person. He doesn't do that. He talks about their affluence. He talks about how much good stuff they have, how many possessions they have. He goes from lay your life down to, oh, hey, if you've got good stuff, if you have possessions, if you have things, then you need to share those things. Because our love is not born out of our own character, but out of the Jesus' love for us. Because in my, own, uh, in my own strength, my own desire, my own selfishness, you know what I'm going to do with all my stuff? I'm going to keep it. I'm going to hoard it. I'm going to get more of it. That's my character. And that's your character too, if we're all honest. But no. Because of the love of Christ, the things that I have, I'm going to share and give freely. It may be that I'm asked to give my life away at some point, but probably not in suburbia Houston, Texas. But what I am going to be asked to do is to give some things away to meet a need. He says, if you have, I got to find it now. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How does God's love abide in you if you see someone in need and close your heart? Yours might say, don't have pity on him. John in this book is, talks a lot about action, the action of our love, right? Giving our life away, meeting needs, giving our things away, loving our brothers, showing that in action. But the truth is, love is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the will. It's a matter of your decision-making power. Do we have a heart for our brothers and sisters in the faith? Do we have a heart to pray for those who are outside the faith, the, the lost, those who don't know Jesus? Do we have a heart to pray for them? Do we have a heart to meet needs? Those are matters of love. And when you're scared and nervous and you have fear that might overwhelm you when it comes to meeting needs, what do you rest on? You rest on the love of Jesus. I think we sang about that today. God's calling us to meet needs. And as I think about that, having a heart, a heart that is tuned to the love of God and to show that love to others. You know, we've, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about praying for our neighbors through Bless Every Home. It's a, it's a website we've emailed and texted you a few times, four or five actually. And as of this morning, we have about 60 people slash families who have signed up for that out of the 350 families in our church. And some of you haven't signed up because you're busy. You're not sure you want to give your information away. I understand all that. 
And so it's not really about the website. It is for your selfish pastor who wants to see everybody jump on and pray for your neighbors. But I wonder, even if you haven't signed up for Bless Every Home, I wonder, have you been praying for your neighbors? Have you walked your neighborhood? Have you met the new family that moved in two doors down? Do you have a heart for your classmate that's struggling with the mask? We have a heart for these people. Not these people, your brother, he says. I wonder, do we have that heart? Because that's what John is talking about. That the love of Christ lives in me, then I have a heart as big as Texas for those who are in need. And if I close my heart to them, how can God's love live in me? And I'll stand here today and tell you I'm not perfect at that either. None of us are perfect. But it's great to be reminded often that if I say I love Jesus, then I need to love others. And that loving others might be a fist bump, might be a hello, how are you doing to my neighbor? It might be actually knowing their name. It might be praying for them, spending 30 seconds to pray that God would bless them and meet every one of their needs. It might be taking them something it might be seeing someone who needs to get reconnected to church and you helping them do that. But that's a matter of the heart more than it is a matter of action. And John wants us to have a heart that loves. Because most of us won't be asked to lay down our life for somebody else. We won't. but we'll be asked to meet a need. We'll be asked to have a listening ear. We will be prompted to someone who's alone and desperate. And that's a heart for God and a heart for people. May we be people who love because John's not just talking about the whole world. He's talking about the people that we know, your brother, the people that you pay attention to, the people that you're around. Because our action and our desire to love others as one famous, famous, that's a funny word because most of you don't know who he is. Famous in preacher circles, C.H. Dodd says this, it's the willingness to surrender that which has value for your own life. What have we surrendered that has value for our own life to enrich the life of somebody else? That's love. To surrender that which has value for me so that your life is better. Your life is fuller. Your life is more enriched. Let us not be people who close our heart to others. May the love of God abide in us. In order for that to happen, our love must be seen. It must be seen. Let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Love is the character of the church. We are defined by love. Our great example is Jesus the Christ. 
the one who gave himself so that we might live eternally. God is the creator. He is the author. He is love. And it's evidenced by the cross. And it's eternal. And so may we be a people who love. My prayer for us is that our activity, our activity born out of a heart of love will be this. Lord, lead me into your love to those around me. Will you bow with me?